Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We have a jam-packed day. Let us get started. How much... How long a leash should protesters have? All right, here is the, the deal. At 3 o'clock this afternoon, the district attorney is scheduled to meet with the family of Alvin Cole. He was the 17-year-old that was shot last February at Mayfair or outside of Mayfair Mall by Officer Joseph Mensa. The decision, and I mean, I guess we could all very well be surprised, but I think Almost everybody anticipates that the ultimate decision is going to be no criminal charges against Officer Mensa. There, there is a recommendation from an independent investigator that he be fired for reasons not directly related to the shooting. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, but I mean, smart money says that probably no charges are going to be issued. Could be wrong, but, but that's kind of where most people are, are thinking. Um, in Wauwatosa, Authorities are preparing for protests. As I was saying earlier, I, I was at dinner at a restaurant on North Avenue last night, as a matter of fact. And if you drive up and down North Avenue, several businesses have already boarded up their windows in anticipation that there might be some protest activity and that there might be some of that protest activity that gets out of control, that takes an ugly turn. Nobody hopes that that's going to happen. Wauwatosa police, I know, have been preparing for this contingency. There are reports that there are members of the National Guard who are out there um, who've been massing at State Fair, and even though there's no confirmation about what they're going to be doing, let's, I mean, you know, let's put one and one together and, and get two. Clearly, I think authorities across the state have learned a little bit from what happened in Kenosha a while back, and there there is anticipation. I think the police are not going to be overwhelmed. They're not going to be undermanned this time in the event that the peaceful demonstrations, some in the event they occur, and if some of those peaceful demonstrations cross the line and you start to have property damage or destruction or human life is at risk, I, I think the police are preparing to be more aggressive in dealing with this than perhaps what happened in Kenosha. And I think in Kenosha, if you talk to law enforcement folks, they'll tell you that the first night or two, they, they were just, they were undermanned and, and were in a defensive sort of position, um, especially when all those protests started. I do not think that officials are going to find themselves in that same position again. So here's where I want to start off the conversation, and it, it's based on an assumption. Let us assume that there are people some of these protesters, for example, who are unhappy with the ultimate decision that comes from the district attorney's office, for whatever reason. And let us assume that, you know, this af- late this afternoon, early this evening, into the evening, you, you have people who decide to take to the streets and protest. My question is, 
how much leash should they be given? By that, I mean, how aggressive should law enforcement be? Now, clearly, you've got peaceful protests. But my question is, if people, and I hope this doesn't happen, and I'm not predicting it's going to happen, other than we've seen this happen in other demonstrations, we've seen it happen in Madison, we certainly saw it happen in Kenosha, we've seen it happen in Minneapolis, we have seen it happen to a lesser extent in Milwaukee. But if you have a protest where some members, and clearly not everybody, but if some people decide to kind of cross that line and break a window or throw a Molotov cocktail or throw a brick or a frozen water bottle or something like that at the police. How aggressive do we expect to see the police being? How aggressive should they be in trying to make sure that that situation doesn't get out of control? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this, I believe in peaceful protest. If there are protests this afternoon and this evening, I think that's fine. At the same time, I think there is a line. And I think it's appalling, for example, that businesses have to be in a position where maybe we can't open up because we're afraid of the protesters. Maybe we have to board up our windows because we're afraid of vandalism. The schools have closed for three days ahead of this. And I understand why why this is going on. I don't fault the stores. I don't fault the schools. I don't fault the businesses that are closing. But my point is, I think the police need to be in a position to aggressively deal with this. And if somebody throws a brick, they need to be arrested, period. If somebody throws a frozen water ball, uh, water bottle at the police, they need to be arrested. If somebody sets a dumpster on fire, they need to be arrested. It's fine to let people engage in peaceful protest. No problem with that at all. But once that turns the corner into lawlessness, I think it needs to be stopped right away. And that, I think, is one of the lessons from some of these protests in the summer. Do what you want, but at the same time, once people start to get violent, boom, you've got to come in. Those people that are engaging in that violence, they need to be apprehended. They need to be prosecuted, whatever. You can't let people throw bricks at police officers. You can't let people throw frozen water bottles at, at police officers. You can't let people set fire to things. I think the community deserves a response. And I'm not saying the police go out and and try to provoke any sorts of situations. But if you have people who decide that they are going to agitate, that they are going to cross the line, that they are going to engage in conduct that is destructive to property or dangerous to others, yeah, I think they need to be arrested. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this conversation that we're having is is a premise, and the premise is that when the decision in the Joseph Mensah shooting case is announced sometime after 3 o'clock today, that there are going to be individuals and or groups who are unhappy with that decision. All right. And I, again, I, I don't know what the decision is going to be, except as I've been saying for months and all my law enforcement sources are telling me that it, it is extremely unlikely, at least people believe it is extremely unlikely that the DA's office will seek to bring criminal charges against Joseph Mensah, which is one of the reasons 
I, I believe that you have the timing of this independent investigating report that's announced, announced today as well, recommending that Mensa be fired. We'll talk about that later on. But the question I have now is merchants all along North Avenue are, are boarding up their, their windows in anticipation that there are going to be protests that um, involve property damage and things of the like. Hopefully that's not the case. Schools in Wauwatosa are closed for the balance of the week. I don't know what they're going to be doing out at Mayfair. My question is, how much how much latitude do you give the protesters? And my response is, it's one thing for peaceful protest, but the first time somebody throws a brick at the police, I want that. I think that person should be arrested. The first time somebody breaks a window, I think that person should be arrested. And if that makes other protesters angry, too bad. If they then decide to intervene, then they should be arrested as well. Protest is one thing. You cannot let this get out of control like authorities let Madison get out of control and like authorities in Kenosha, unfortunately, found themselves undermanned, and that situation got out of control. Let's talk to Scott in Burlington. Scott, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. I'm 100% with you on this. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm 100% with you on this. They're going to protest either way. So you have to be ready, and you can't let the merchants take the hit for this. So the first person I'm with you, the first person that throws a rock, Molotov cocktail, whatever it is, arrest them. If anybody intervenes with that arrest, arrest them. And you just have to keep arresting them and hauling them away. The peaceful protesters will be fine in the streets. They won't get involved. It's the ones that are not. Arrest them. Don't don't let this go on any longer than it already has. Right. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And, and there is this balancing. I mean, you can have people that, that march and you can accommodate that and you can have people that hold the rally outside of City Hall and you can accommodate that. And, and they should, in fact, be accommodated. But if you have agitators and, and I don't I don't know if that's. I don't know if you look at Kenosha or you look at what happened in Madison. I don't know if that's 1% or 2% or 10% or 20% of the protesters. But if you have these agitators that show up, that percentage needs to be arrested. You can't throw bricks at police officers and set stuff on fire. That is correct. But one thing I don't know is what kind of support or backup they have. Mm-hmm. So that has to be established first. Because I'll tell you, like in Kenosha, they're not going to do nothing if they don't have backup. Right. So well, if the National Guard or somebody is not there to back them up, then the National Guard, the police are there to arrest them. The National Guard hauls them away. Yep. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I think if it went when the after action reports come out about Kenosha, what what you're going to see is I think the police are going to acknowledge that the first two nights. They were they were just overwhelmed. They were put in a defensive position because there were a lot more protesters than they were police. And, and I think that's perhaps one of the lessons that law enforcement ha- has learned is that you, you have to be proactive uh, about this. And if that means that members of the mainstream media get upset because, oh, there, there's all these police that are out there in riot gear and things like that. Well, you, you've you, you've got to learn from what happened and what the mistakes were. My guess is that that is not going to happen in Wauwatosa. My guess is that, you know, people in Wauwatosa, the authorities have, have had months knowing that this decision was going to come out and knowing that it could be controversial, at least in the minds of some people. Now, again, I'm, I'm not 
predicting that there's going to be bad stuff that happens. I hope there's not. But again, when when you have businesses, businesses that are closing down or businesses that are boarding up their windows, that tells me that there are at least some of these places that have some concern about this. And given some of the things that have happened in Wauwatosa over the course of the last several months, they've had like 60 nights of protest. They've had the incident where incidents where people showed up at uh, Joseph Menz's girlfriend's residence, somebody carrying a shotgun and fired around through the uh, screen door of the kitchen. You, you, you know, given that, I mean, I think authorities have every right to decide, hey, we want to over plan as opposed to under planning. 855-616-1620. But my point is that the message needs to be loud and clear to anybody who might protest if people decide to protest that Protest is fine, but you start throwing bricks at police officers, you start setting dumpsters on fire, you start breaking windows, you start engaging in conduct that's going to be dangerous, yeah, you're you're going to be arrested. And, And by the way, for anybody who is a member of a citizen militia or something like that, stay the heck away. That, that does not help situations at all. Let law enforcement take care of this. My sense is... My sense is they have learned a little bit from Kenosha, but you don't need outside people coming into town with, uh, again, AR-15s to try to protect stuff and and ratcheting up things. Let law enforcement do their job, and my hope is that law enforcement will, and my hope is that protesters will recognize that, hey, we're we're not going to throw bricks at the police officers and things like that and make matters worse. But if they do, they they should need to recognize that, hey, they're going to be arrested. Let's talk to Mark in Sheboygan. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I, I see it that way, too. Um, I just don't believe the police or the businesses need to be victims of a violent protest. I mean, if it get gets out of hand, I think the police and the businesses need to stick together and do something about it. The protesters need to know right from the start right. this is not going to get violent, and it can't get violent. Right. The, then the police, again, the police and the businesses don't need to be victims of a violent protest. Right, and you, you make it, you make it clear. And back right. the businesses. Right, you, you <laughs> make, yeah, exactly. No, thanks for and you, and you make it clear from the jump. Look, this is, we're, we're not going to let what happened in Madison happen. We're not going to let what happened in Kenosha happen. Here's, here is the deal. You have a right to assemble. You have a right to protest. You have a right to do all those sorts of things. But you can't throw rocks. You can't throw bricks. You can't endanger other people. And unfortunately, in Wauwatosa, you've got some elected officials who have made the very, very questionable decision that they want to side with the, the protesters a- against the community in a whole and against law enforcement. But, and that's, that, that's okay too. I mean, if some of the usual suspects, you know, show up and, you know, they end up being part of the problem, not part of the solution, well, that, that's fine. Don't worry about that. But, I mean, public safety needs to be number one. And you can do that without, without interfering on the First Amendment rights of, of others. Hey, and look, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's not going to be any protests at all. Maybe, Maybe people will be satisfied. Maybe the idea will come that even if there's uh, decisions announced that no criminal charges are there, maybe the decision to recommend that uh, the officer be terminated, maybe that will be enough to calm things down. I mean, I, I don't know. Clearly, 
clearly there is a timing element here. I mean, it's more than just coincidence, I would suggest, that you have the decision announcing that there's a recommendation that Officer Mensa be fired. It's more than just a coincidence that that recommendation comes out three hours before the DA's office is supposed to announce its decision as to what's going to happen with uh, criminal charges. So, I mean, it's I guess it could be a coincidence, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet the farm on that. Bottom line is, I think that authorities have learned from Kenosha. I think authorities are going to be prepared. And you know what? They should be. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. WTMJ is excited to announce our contest winner for Rebuilding Wisconsin Business with Associated Bank. Businesses needed to write a 300-word essay that showcased how they embody being rooted in the Midwest, how they connect with the small business community, and how they support the local community. Congratulations to Black Husky Brewing Company in Riverwest, the winner of our $50,000 advertising campaign. Head to RebuildingWIBusiness.com to check out businesses who entered so we can all continue to support local and rebuild Wisconsin business together. Hey, interesting development in the court system. We and, and I understand it's easy to get lost in the weeds on, on this, but in as we've talked about before, in Wisconsin, the law is clear that on the absentee ballots need to be received by 8 p.m. on the day the polls close. That the law it's it's Black letter law. That's what it says. A federal judge in Madison who's been monkeying around with what he thinks the law should be for quite a while had issued an order saying, well, you know, because there's going to be because there's a pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, I'm going to give people an extra six days to to vote. By that, I mean, if the ballot is postmarked by November 3rd in this case, it can can be counted for up to six days afterwards. Now, that is clearly not what the law says. Now, maybe the law should be changed. I I don't know. That's a whole different discussion. But the law says it has to be received. I don't think that that's an unreasonable situation because you do need some certainty. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say to somebody, hey, you know, if you're going to vote, you have to do it either on Election Day or if you're going to do it in advance, you have to do it in such a timely enough fashion so your ballot gets to the clerk's office by November 3rd. In any event, the judge said that didn't have to happen. The case was appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. They said, no, we're not We're not going to shut down the judge because we find that the people who are appealing, the state legislature, doesn't have standing to rule on the case, but to, to appeal. Standing means you have an interest. You know, I... Um, for example, you have to have an interest to be a party to a lawsuit. If Eric Bilstadt has a bad experience with a car dealer, I can't sue that car dealer on behalf of Eric Bilstadt. I, I don't have an interest in that. Eric would have to sue him. So the um, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals said, gee, because of our interpretation of a state Supreme Court ruling, we don't think the legislature can be a party to this. And since the governor and the attorney general didn't have an issue with it, they said, we don't think we can decide. Yesterday, the state Supreme Court said, no, the under state law, the legislature does have standing. The legislature can appeal. So that puts the matter back in front of the Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. They can decide the issue on the merits. That is kind of a big deal. Look, I don't know if the election is going to be close or not, but I do think the law needs to be followed. And the law in Wisconsin says you got to get your ballot in by 8 o'clock on election night. That, to me, is not unreasonable. 
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. In a move clearly timed, and and it seems to me it had to have been coordinated, don't know that for sure, but had to have been coordinated. Uh, Again, at 3 o'clock this afternoon, the DA's office is expected to announce to the family of Alvin Cole whether or not criminal charges will be issued against Joseph Mensa. Um, Almost everybody believes there's not a basis to issue criminal charges. Earlier today... Um, the independent investigator is an, is an attorney in town, former U.S. attorney named Steve Poskupic, and, and Steve and I know each other. We worked together in the U.S. attorney's office for probably 10 years. Steve started after me, but and he went on to be the U.S. attorney. I, I like Steve on a personal level. I have the greatest respect for him. His law firm conducted at the request of the Wauwatosa Fire and Police Commission an investigation into Joseph Mensa to determine whether or not he should be fired. All right. Now, that report is out today uh, without bearing the lead. The conclusion is of the investigation is that Mensa should be terminated. The investigation, the report, my understanding is, does not accuse him of any wrongdoing in connection with the the shooting death of Alvin Cole, the the 17-year-old. In addition, what it did was it went on to um, look at shootings in um, other situations as well. He was involved, that would be Mensa, in the fatal shooting of Jay Anderson in 2016 and Antonio Gonzalez in 2015. Mensa shot Gonzalez eight times after he refused to drop a sword, according to police. In the case of Anderson, Mensa approached a parked car where Anderson was sleeping, saw he had a gun inside, thought Anderson was reaching for it, so he shot him six times. All right, so three shootings in the space of five years. Um, I believe that there's no wrongdoing. Again, they, they don't find that Mensa violated department rules or did not have a legitimate exercise of self-defense as far as his shooting. All right, so you might say, okay, well, why are we recommending that he be fired? Well, here, here's the story. Um, Biskupic, that would be the investigator, the attorney, wrote that Mensa should be fired because the risk of him shooting a fourth person is too great. Given Mensa's notoriety, people could bait him into shooting them, exposing the city to lawsuits costing millions of dollars, Bastupic said. He noted that even one officer-involved shooting in a city the size of Wauwatosa is unusual. Wauwatosa is home to about 48,000 people. Quote, if a fourth shooting by Officer Mensa were to take place, the public's confidence in the Wauwatosa Police Department would be significantly eroded. All right, well, let me stop and just offer you a thought on that before I move to the the other grounds that he suggested justified firing. What the investigator is saying is that even though the police officer was involved in three legitimate shootings, three legitimate shootings, we should fire him because some outside force might try to induce him into a fourth shooting. That strikes me as being a really interesting message to send to other cops. Even if you're right, you can still get fired because, well, I don't know, maybe you will, by doing your job, you will perhaps make yourself a target. You will invite other attention. So we're going to fire you from your job because, I don't know, you might have made yourself a target even though you were legitimately defending yourself. 
That seems to me to be a questionable message to send to the police departments. But I do understand the basic premise. Yeah, it's true. If Mensa is on the force, trying to do his job is going to be extremely difficult because you know that there will be people who will be trying to bait him into reactions. All right. The, the report then goes on to say that Mensa violated policies preventing officers from speaking about pending investigations when he gave a radio interview and spoke about the shooting on a podcast in July. He, quote, also provided misleading information during the interviews by failing to correct an interviewer who stated that Cole shot at Mensa. Piscupic's report said Cole shot himself in the arm and claiming that more than half a dozen Wauwatosa police officers had been involved in multiple shootings over the last five years. According to Piscupic's report, the Wauwatosa police chief, that would be Barry Weber, said only Mensa had fired his weapon more than once over the last five years. Piscupic concluded that Mensa provided misleading information to the public in order to minimize the significance of his own conduct. So in, in other words... You have a police officer who was being demonized and vilified in the extreme. He goes and does a radio interview, and he fails to correct an interviewer who, who makes a statement, and he incorrectly says other officers have been involved in shooting multiple shootings. And that's the basis for firing him. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, my take on this, I understand the idea behind it's difficult for Officer Mensa to continue to do his job in Wauwatosa based on all the circumstances and the attention that's there. Having said that, I got to tell you, I think this is really, really, really thin gruel to try to rely on firing a man saying, well, gee, you might, even though your behavior has been legitimate, you might be targeted in the future, so we don't want to take that risk, so we're going to fire you. Huh. That sends a very, in my mind, questionable message. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I understand if he violated department procedures by giving an interview, etc. My question would be, do you have any evidence suggesting that other people who would do that, give an interview or make a public statement that has some inconsistency in it, that is that material enough to get you fired? Or are you looking to find an excuse to get rid of the guy? which seems to me what has happened. And my prediction is if they go ahead and fire him, there's going to be a big lawsuit that comes out of this. How it plays out, who knows? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It may very well be best for both Officer Mensa and the community of Wauwatosa for him to move on, given everything that is going on. But is firing him the right thing to do? 855-616-1620. I think that is a stretch. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, a couple people texting in, well, well, Jeff, you know, at-will employees can be terminated for any reason at all or no reason at all. And, and that's true. Officer Mensa is not what you would call an at-will employee. M- most people are at-will employees. It, it means that, that you don't have an employment contract, you're not subject to a union labor agreement, and as long as it's not an illegal reason, you know, you, you can walk, your, your employer can say, okay, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Jeff, you're, you're done. Um, or you can walk in and say, okay, this is it. This is my last show. I'm done. Now, um, there are other, there are variations of that. Some people have contracts. I've got an employment contract. So that specifies 
specifies the obligations that I have. It specifies the obligations that Good Karma Brands has to me. So that it's a different situation. And if you are a public employee, like a police officer, there are all sorts of civil service protections that are there. So you, you can't fire somebody like Officer Mensa for no cause. You have to have just cause. The report today issued by the special investigator found that things I went through earlier constituted just cause to get rid of him. At the end of the day, I I think they figure and they feel that he is a liability, and that might very well be the case. But the issue becomes, does that just does that provide just cause to to get rid of him, even though recognizing that, yeah, I, I, I don't take issue with this conclusion that, hey, if he's still on the force, you know, you know that there are going to be people that are going to be out there baiting him, making it very difficult for him to do the job, which is why it might be in everybody's best interest for him to move on. It's not necessarily a justification for why he should be fired. All right. Let's talk to John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. John, north side. Good afternoon. Okay, lost John there. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, let's go to some of the texts that are pouring in on this particular thing. Um, Jeff, um, he's basically being fired for being unpopular then. That won't stand and sets an impossibly high bar for other cops. Well, he's being fired for being unpopular among certain segments of the community. Now, again, I guess the question to me is, is the fact that he gives a radio interview and if if in the word of the, the investigator tries to minimize his involvement, is that a justification? Is that just cause? Now, keeping in mind, of course, that this is a guy, like I say, who's been just vilified in in the media and has been the subject of some really, really terrible stuff that people have been saying about him. And, and so I guess the question becomes, gee, he decides to do a radio interview and defends himself and doesn't correct uh, an invest, doesn't correct somebody like me. He didn't do the interview with me, but doesn't correct an interviewer when the interviewer poses a question to him, that's now, you know, just cause. Uh, Jeff, Tosa would be wise to work out a severance package with Mensa, full pension plus whatever. I believe they will lose millions of dollars in a lawsuit. Well, I, I think that there is an element, uh, there is an element of that. Jeff, can't Walwatosa give him a desk job? Well, yeah, that that would be another option. But the problem, of course, is, you know, if, if you're a cop, you you are expected to do the, the things that cops have to do. You have to be out on the streets. You have to be doing patrol stuff. It would seem to me that you got to reach the decision is, is Officer Mensa capable of doing the job that you need to do? Yeah, you can bury him at a desk somewhere, I guess, but that just puts an unreasonable burden on the other um, officers. Um, let's see. Um Jeff, um, I think, you know, Tosa should toss the poor guy out. It's a shame, but now this is what happens um, in these sort of situations. Well, yeah, I, 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 that could be the case. Jeff, if Officer Mensa turns out to be a fall guy, I think it's deserved. While he may be found justified in all three of his shootings, most officers his age don't even find themselves firing the weapons three times in five years. So there's a reasonable suspicion that he might be overly aggressive, not as prudent and controlled and responsible in his discharge of sworn duty. Um, hence, even though not criminally liable, he should be fired. All right. Well, th- that's that's fine. 
except what message does that send to other police officers? Now, I I agree. Look, I, I know a lot of cops. I've worked over the years with a lot of cops, and there are police officers who will go their entire career without having to to pull their gun, much less charge, but much less shoot. And that that's a great thing. At the same time, police officers don't they don't get to decide what calls they go on. They, they, you know, go out, hey, check out this, this car, check out a guy who's in this car. And, you know, they don't get to decide if the guy in the car has a gun and, and reaches for the gun, if that's in fact what happened. They don't get a chance to, you know, go out and, hey, we, we've got a disturbance at Mayfair Mall and end up chasing, you know, some 17-year-old who's who's got a gun and, and shoots, if that is in fact what, what happened. I mean, so on, on the one hand, yeah, I understand, and, and maybe... Maybe the guy is trigger happy. I don't know. Maybe it's just a situation of bad luck. But if the shootings instances all turn out to be justified, it sends to me a very bad message to other police officers that say that even if what you've done is justified, you know, we're not going to support you. And even if you're doing the right thing, and even if it's a legitimate exercise of self-defense, and you're protecting yourself, well, as long as certain members of the community don't like this and get upset and create enough of a ruckus, we're going to fire you. So it seems to me questionable that the premise that, gee, just because you know if he's ever he might be baited into doing this again, so that means we got to get rid of him. Well, that says you could make that argument to any police officer that's out there that's involved in a situation. Hey, you know, people are upset with you for having. Done this, we've got to fire you because if you do something again, even if it's perfectly legitimate, um, we we you know we, we could get a lawsuit. I, I understand the argument, but it's tough. Now, I guess the more difficult thing is, yes, he goes out and he gives this interview and he makes these what they say are allegedly inconsistent statements. Is if somebody else had done that, would that have been a justification for firing? Is, is that? Because, I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, we don't think you should have done a radio interview. Um, we're, we're going to give you a warning. We don't think you should have, we think if you did a radio interview, we don't think you should have criticized the Fire and Police Commission who has suspended you. Okay, I, I understand all that. You, you might be able to say that, but is that grounds for discharge? Or instead, is it grounds, rather than just cause for firing, is it... All right, what we need to do is we're going to put a warning letter in your jacket. Don't do this again. Or we're going to suspend you for two or three days. Again, these are all issues that have to to play out. I do think the timing of this is very, very convenient. If, in fact, my law enforcement sources are correct, and if, in fact, there are no charges issued against him criminally today, clearly releasing this report recommending he be fired is an attempt to mollify those members of the community who might be upset about the fact that there's not going to be criminal charges. All right, that, that's all well and good. But if this is in any way, shape, or form a, a small p political decision that, all right, let, let's throw let's throw some of the people that don't like Mensa, let's throw them a bone and let's recognize that we're, we're going to fire him, I, I have issues with that. And I do believe that there's going to be lots of litigation surrounding this if the Fire and Police Commission that clearly wants to fire him goes ahead and does it. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, it has been a tough time for lots and lots of businesses 
um, not only in this area, not only across the state, but across the, the country as a result of how they've had to adapt to the pandemic. Of course, one of the industries that's been very, very hard hit has been the entertainment industry, whether it's it's musicians who were used to playing in bars or at, at various gatherings who've had the, the things canceled because of c- coronavirus to large scale festivals like State Fair or Summerfest that have had to just cancel for the entire year. It, it, it's been just a, a bad year. But. It's interesting to me the way some of these businesses have, ad- have adapted and have figured out how to grow. And, and one of the classic examples of that is, is Summerfest, which despite having to cancel the events for this year, um, they're, they've come out with a very interesting announcement about some big capital improvements that they are making to the grounds for next year. And to talk about that, we are joined by Summerfest CEO Don Smiley. Don, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, well, first of all, I mean, t- tough times for the, the concert industry, the festival industry, but you've got some exciting news about growth at Summerfest. Well, it was a, it was a great day. We're very um, we're privileged and and very excited to announce that we're uh, we're going to rebuild the children's area, the Northwestern Mutual Community Park, and um, it's with the cooperation of Northwestern Mutual and and um, Milwaukee World Festival Inc. that we're able to do this. It's a, um, you know, it's it's tough to do this in the middle of a pandemic, but the the fact of the matter is we all believe that this is going to end at some point in time, and the children's area has been on our radar for some time. We embedded the cost that MWF will incur in our budget a while ago. Uh, Northwestern Mutual, who is a great partner of ours and has been since 2006, uh, will bear most of the expense of building the new community park, which which is just going to be fantastic. It'll be it'll be great for uh, children and families, and it's and, and our intention is that it's one of the most accessible parks in all of Wisconsin. So all of the play equipment. Uh, we're building a new children's stage. We have a um, we have an area for toddlers. We have sensory rooms. We'll have rooms for nursing mothers. We'll have shade areas for parents to uh, supervise their children while they're playing on the equipment. And it will take us into the next generation of um, of, of kids growing up and, and playing in the park. So we're very excited about it, and we're privileged to do it. Don, for people who might not be familiar with where this is located uh, on the grounds, give, give, us, give us an indication. So if you walked in the um, uh, mid-gate, we're going to build a new entrance, which will lead you right into the park. So it's, it, it's just um, it's right in the middle of the grounds, it's just a little bit south of the Johnson Control stage. Right, right. Uh, one of the things that I think is so cool as well is that the, the, the Northwestern Mutual Community Park is going to be made available to the public during non-event days. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And, and you know, with a caveat, you know, you, you're aware of all the ethnic festivals that we do here and other right. events. So... We have to be very careful and, and, and cognizant of the safety factors of trucks and machinery and so on and so forth that go, go through our grounds in order to set those events up. 
So if Irish Fest is setting up on a certain day and there's traffic all over the place, the park may not be open that day. Right. But it, 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 in, in a in a um, ten thousand foot view, the park will be open more in the future than it has in the past. That's very very cool. I you know some people might hear us talking about this and they say, well, you know they're, they're talking about a kids zone. Summerfest isn't about kids. Summerfest is about adults going down and dancing on the picnic tables and stuff. That Summerfest is really more than 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 just grown ups going down and having fun, right? Well, of course, and 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 it's just not about Summerfest. I mean, we do uh, stage all of the ethnic festivals here, which which encompasses a lot of families and a lot of children. So it's just not about the nine days of Summerfest. It's it's our entire summer and 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 operating calendar that we have, hosting all of the events that we do. When uh, when is this going to be ready for debut? Is it going to be ready for Summerfest twenty twenty one? Yes, sir. I mean, we're at it right now. We're um, if you want to come down with a sledgehammer, you're welcome <laughs> to uh, join in. <laughs> You've got, you know, I, I just whenever you and I talk, I, I always think back as somebody who has been going to Summerfest essentially since there was a, a Summerfest. I always think back on, on on how the grounds have changed and evolved from when mm-hmm. before there was an amphitheater, when it was just an open stage with bleachers and things like that on the north end of the grounds, to all the stuff we we have there. I mean, Summerfest 2021 between this play zone and the oh. new amphitheater. There's going to be a lot of stuff, new stuff for people to see. And there's more beyond that that we haven't talked about yet, but we're really looking forward to opening the American Family Insurance Amphitheater, which obviously we didn't have that opportunity in 2020. So that, that, that just turned out to be a beautiful building. The artists will love it. Our fans will love it. And this... Um, Northwestern Mutual Community Park is just another step in that direction in in our continuous um, uh, movement to to try to improve the park and 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 get it ready for the next generation. I mean, if you if you really go stage by stage, we've rebuilt every stage and the Miller stage twice. Mm-hmm. You know, Don, I, I always think about all the music festivals over the 50-plus years that Summerfest has been operating, all the different music festivals that have come and, and gone. And, you know, Summerfest has been a, a standard. Now, admittedly, thing, things have changed, and I know next summer there's you know different dates and things like that. But this commitment to constantly improving the grounds, it goes to back to what you were talking about, about making sure that Summerfest is something that uh, uh, generations can enjoy and that there's a Summerfest uh, when you and I are both long gone, <laughs> which hopefully won't be anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could put that a different way, Jeff. Uh, you know, for sure. I mean, that's that's the way that we look at it. You know, we just kind of wake up and and try to figure out. You know, how are we going to leave this better than we found it? The the you know the day before, and 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 just keep pushing that ball down the field, and that's really been our charge. I mean. I can't believe I've been here 17 years, uh, but in those 17 years, we've, along with the help of all of our sponsors who make this possible, because we we wouldn't be able to fund this on our own, given the um, very inexpensive ticket price that we have, we wouldn't be able to afford all of these improvements. So it, the, the the credit goes to the sponsors who have been loyal and dedicated, and they love the event. It's good for them. It's good for us. 
and we've been able to build and, and rebuild these grounds uh, in, into a world-class facility that if, you know, you travel around a lot. I mean, have, have you ever seen anything like this on a lakefront setting no. uh, with, with permanent fixtures the way that, that we have them? I mean, I, I, I think we're very fortunate in this community to have this festival. Now, 2020 was brutal, and we lost a lot of money by not having a festival. That doesn't mean that we should stop our work, and 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 we've been very frugal with okay. with our cash lately because um, you know w- w- we don't know what's down the road, we don't know what's around the corner, but we're we're planning for a festival in 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 June of 21 until we aren't, and if if we're not able to have a festival in June, well then we'll pivot and we'll decide what we're going to do from there. But from the people that we've talked to, the medical experts and, and people in the industry, um, sometime during 2021, we should be able to have a festival. So fingers crossed, no one has the answer for sure. It changes day to day, as, as everyone knows. And until there's therapeutics or a vaccine, I, I, I think there are there will be question marks. Right. Well, in my guess, well, I don't want to get too far afield because we're talking about the the, the, the children in the children's zone. But my right. guess too is when when people come back to Summerfest twenty twenty one, there there mm-hmm. will be change. My, my guess is there'll be more sanitation. There'll be different sort of things. I know some venues are going all cashless and things like that. I, I there, there is going to be a new a new normal. I would assume at some point in time. I think just like any other business, and, and whenever you walk in any other building or go to any other venue, I mean, you'll find um, um, restrictions and you'll find uh, new practices and best practices, and we're no different. We will we will um, we'll learn from that, and we'll go from there. We'll have the luxury of finding out what's happening in January with other events right. and try to learn from that and go from there. But for today... We're very, very excited about the the new community park and and the accessibility of this park for for all children. It sounds very exciting, you know, Don. One of the things I look forward to every year is opening day of Summerfest and you and I spending some time together on the grounds during interviews. And I I can't right. tell you how much I hope <laughs> that you know come next summer, come next June, we're in a position to do that again. And and uh, hope hopefully that's going to be the case. But in the interim, this is exciting news and a lot of stuff to look forward to and a lot of exciting things going on at Summerfest. It's great for children and families of, of southeastern Wisconsin, and we're, we're, we're so pleased to do it along with our partner, and um, I, I think you're really going to love it when you see it. Outstanding. Don Smiley, Summerfest CEO, thanks for spending some time with me today. Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It, you know, it, it, what is so exciting about that, and I, I mean it, it when, when I heard about what they were doing, I, I thought, you know, this is so very cool because... If you look at, at so many businesses, and, and what's happened is because of the pandemic, because of the changes, that they've, they've had to cut back. They've had to go into a, a no growth, no improvement, let's kind of hunker down and, and hope to get through this. And I understand that. I'm not being critical at all. But then when you hear the places like Summerfest are saying, hey, we're, we're full speed ahead. We had this planned um, you know, we, we don't know for sure what 2021 is going to look like, but you know, we're, we're not retrenching. We want to assume that everything's going to be moving forward. And, and so let, let's go ahead and do this for the best possible experience. And, and that's the kind of foresight that you love to see out of businesses. Back with more in just a minute. 
You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. All right. Eric Bilstadt was alluding to this new Marquette University Law School poll out. And again, whenever we talk about polls, some people just say, oh, the pollsters don't know what they're doing. And I think, you know, it's a piece of information. I think what we know over the years is that recently polls have been inaccurate. The question is how inaccurate they are. But nevertheless, I think that they're interesting. Uh, the, the top line story in the Marquette poll is the presidential race in Wisconsin, uh, pretty much stable. 46% saying they're going to vote for Joe Biden. 41% saying they're going to vote for Donald Trump, um, 5% slightly outside the margin of error, but, but still close. But that's been that's been sort of a steady number. The, the It's 5%. Interestingly, there's some other interesting questions. Should masks be required in public places? 72% say yes, 26% say no. That's roughly what it was in, in August. It was slightly lower, but about that. But here's the interesting thing. Partisan differences in support for mask requirements. Democrats support the mask requirement 98 to 1. Everybody who identifies as a Democrat says that you should wear a, there should be requirements for masks. Among Republicans, 47% support, 49% oppose. So kind of interesting, a real partisan break. Uh, Every Democrat that they poll essentially says, yes, the government should be ordering people to wear masks. Republicans more split on that. Governor Evers' handling of protests in Kenosha, 40% approve, 44% disapprove. Um, 42% have a favorable view of President Trump. 53% have an unfavorable view. 48% have a favorable view of Biden, 45% unfavorable. So, again, uh, Biden is not underwater for the first time in a while. When we say underwater, we mean more people disapproving than approving. Uh, The strong point for President Trump continues to be the economy. Trump's handling the economy, 51% approve, 45% disapprove. That's pretty stable, but... Obviously, President Trump loses votes in other areas, most notably the handling of the coronavirus. Evers, Governor Evers' job performance, 52% approve, 42% disapprove. That's pretty much similar from the last couple months. But keep in mind, at the start of the pandemic, it was 65%. So it is starting to decrease. The number of people who say they will vote in person on Election Day continues to rise 39% in May, 54% in the new poll. So the number of people who say they're going to vote absentee is starting to level off. I find that to be very, very interesting. Number of things there. And again, you you take this stuff with a, a grain of salt, but it's It is an interesting snapshot. Overall opinion of Governor Evers, 40% favorable, 40% unfavorable. Uh, Baldwin, Senator Baldwin, 41% favorable, 35% unfavorable. Senator Ron Johnson, 35% favorable, 31% unfavorable. Both of them with more favorable than unfavorable. Again, kind of an interesting snapshot that's there. Looks like stuff is pretty stable for what you, you know, for what it's worth. There is, however, an extremely interesting question that they ask people. And my guess is everybody is going to have a reaction to that. I'm going to ask you that question in just a couple minutes. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 A couple of different postings. Um, one kind of summarizes my feelings about the, the report recommending that Officer Joseph, Joseph Mensa be fired. And like I say, this, this isn't personal. The, the, the guy who did it, the investigator, Steve Poskupik, former U.S. attorney, we worked together in the U.S. attorney's office for years. Poskupik's a good guy. So I, but that doesn't mean that we agree. It, his report and his justification strikes me as being extremely thin for firing him, it is certain to invite a lawsuit. Now, it, it might be, as I say, best for all parties if Officer Mensa were to move on for a variety of reasons. But um, in order to justify firing him, I don't know. I, I think, candidly, if I were to be giving advice to the Wauwatosa Fire and Police Commission, I'd, I'd be trying to no- negotiate a, a settlement to get Officer Mensa to move on, um, as opposed to putting myself and the community through what will undoubtedly be expensive litigation that might end up making Officer Mensa a very rich guy. In addition, send out another tweet. We might get a chance to talk about this in the uh, 2 o'clock hour of the program today. PBS turns 50 this week. Now, there, there were actually, there were, there were some precursors to PBS, but PBS itself turns 50 this week. There was a really, really interesting piece, at least I found it to be extremely interesting, in the Los Angeles Times, talking about uh, the greatest 13 shows on, on PBS. And I, again, my tweet was, given the television landscape today, I think it's fair to ask whether PBS still merits government support. By that, I mean, now, there's so much television out there that, you know, you don't, there's so many different networks and there's so many platforms with the streaming services and things like that. I, I don't know that the government needs to be supporting PBS. Maybe it's time for it to be completely self-sufficient. That said, though, the network has sure provided a lot of quality television over the last uh, 50 years. And if you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 Got a link to uh, the story that lists, at least in the opinion of the critic, it lists the best, at least the, the critic's opinion of the top 13 shows um, on election, on, on top 13 shows on PBS. Okay, as I was saying, lots of interesting data in the Marquette University Law School poll. No major swings. It appears that if you believe the polls, things are kind of like locked into place. But there was a question that caught my attention. I don't know about you. But my general sense is, with the people that I hang around with, and I actually hang around with a diverse group of friends. I I have friends who are just rock-ribbed Republicans. I have friends who are big lefties. Yes, I do. And and people all in, in between. And one of the things I find is that for many people... They're just, they're, they're on their last nerve when it comes to this, this election. People, I don't know if it's fair to say election fatigue. It's, it's more like people are, are just, they're, they're just, they can't wait for this election to be over. It's just they're, they're aggravated with the coverage and all the stuff that's going on. Like I say, they're just on their, their last nerve with this. Now, when I go out with my friends because of what I do for a living, inevitably, we end up talking about politics. Typically, you know, my reaction is, gee, when we go out, I don't want to necessarily talk about the things we talk about on the radio because it's my job, you know, and it's like, all right, I just want to relax. Let's talk about something different. Well, you can't do that in high-spirited election years. People want to talk to me about, you know, the things that we discuss and what you think, you know, when we interact. But here's the question they asked in the Marquette Law School poll. They, they said, okay, have you... Stopped talking about politics 
with at least one person because of disagreements over the presidential race. So have you stopped talking about politics with at least one person because of disagreements over the presidential race? That was the question. 36 percent of those polled said yes. They have stopped talking about politics with at least one person. Um, In October uh, of 2016, so four years ago, 34% said that. So they're really, if you believe those numbers, there hasn't been a marked increase over the last four years. I don't believe, I don't believe that. And by that I say, I I don't believe that 30, it's just 36%. My sense is that a lot more people than just three out of 10 have stopped talking to somebody about politics because of the disagreements over the race. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because I have to tell you, I know I know lots of people in, in my personal sphere 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 and I would guess I would guess that number is probably closer to eighty percent of people who've stopped talking about politics with at least one person because of disagreements over the presidential race. Actually, I, I know I'd say I probably seven or seventy or eighty percent of the people who've stopped talking, period, to at least one other person because they've been so incensed about that person's political views or that person's been so incensed about theirs. So have you stopped have you stopped talking about politics? Or moreover, is there at least somebody in your life that you used to talk to that you've stopped talking to, period? because of disagreements over politics. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think 36% is way, 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 way too low. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the Marquette University Law School poll says that 36% of people say that there's at least one person in their life that they've stopped talking to about politics because of the upcoming election. I, I, I just think that that's remarkably low. I think in the real world, there, there are, there are all sorts of people that, you know, especially since everybody's on their, as I described, at their last nerve. They just don't talk about, they don't, number one, they don't talk about politics with people. My guess is I would say about eight out of ten people probably have somebody in their life that that's the case. And I know that there's probably a high percentage of people who've just stopped talking to people, period, because of of the political fights. Uh, Here's a couple texts. Jeff, my sister is a big lefty and a teacher in Madison. I am very conservative. We can never talk politics. Laugh out loud. Act 10 was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, Jeff, I'm guessing I don't talk to 70% of family or friends about politics. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. Jeff, I do not disclose, discuss politics with five of my family members. I wouldn't risk my relationship over Trump or Biden. Now, my wife has many sisters, several sisters, and there are a couple who are very, very far left. There are a couple who are on on the right. Um, one of one of my sisters in laws, who I love dearly, she tries to engage. She tries to bait people who are of a different persuasion to try to get them involved. And and I think in general, we don't rise to the bait because there's just I keep saying to, to Fran, there's nothing to be gained by engaging here. You know, you're not going to change people's minds. And again, you, you, you love your family members. Uh, Jeff, someone I thought was one of my closest friends um, 
And we made her and her husband, my son's grandparents, cut us out of their lives over the recall of Scott Walker. We actually never discussed it in person, but they knew my husband's strong feeling about Walker staying in office, so they just deleted us from the life. But worst of all, they deleted my son out of their lives. He is now the only child in our family who has no contact with his godparents. It's a damn shame. Clearly, I didn't make a good character choice when I selected them. Well, that's... Yeah, you know, I guess that's part of the thing that really strikes me. I mean, it's it's like if you've got I understand that people have political differences and like I say I have I have friends all across the political spectrum. We there you know, sometimes we have heated political debates, but most of the times it's just like let, let's not even talk about this. We understand that we disagree. You're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind. Why are we going to be going through this? Let's just let's talk about all the things that we have in common, which, you know, have made us friends over the years. Jeff, I use Facebook extensively in conversing with friends and relatives. During this time, I simply stop following those who continually post political anecdotes, which I find offensive. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's there is that there's people who use Facebook to find out you know what their friends are doing or hey somebody just took this vacation or here's a picture of me and the dogs or whatever and then there's other people um who just decide that i'm going to use facebook to again try to convert people don't understand that jeff there's lots of people we ignore but take it a step further if the attacking via facebook has increased with once we're friends it has increased exponentially well that's it um you just kind of wonder that. Um, Jeff, okay, 36% of the people say they've stopped discussing politics with someone. The other 64% are walking around with black eyes. <laughs> Hopefully not. Gianni in Montello, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I hope you're enjoying this weather. Isn't this fantastic? Let's hope it lasts. Absolutely. Hey, listen, uh, 30% is, is a very low number. And um, I, I, my my Trump-supporting uh, fans, um, I we don't discuss politics, so we have enough other things to discuss. But I, I, I have increased my my discourse with my um, you know my, my Democratic friends, and you know I, I'm kind of a you know I, I'm on the right, but uh, I, I can't support poor Trump. But um, so so my Democratic friends and I talk a lot, but we don't we don't discuss politics with my Republican friends. Yeah, because so that's pretty much all. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I guess you know, I right they. Right. They, 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 don't, they don't want to hear it. And I, I mean, again, I it, the, the world out there and look, this might be something that sounds unusual coming from somebody who makes his living talking about current events, which certainly includes politics. But at, at the same time, there's so many different things that are out there. And I, I and I, I always explain to people when they ask, OK, well, what's your show about? And I say, well, I, I do a current event show. Well, do you talk about politics? Well, yeah, I talk about politics, but not three hours a day on politics. I mean, I, I talk about crime issues because I'm sensitive to that given my background and I talk about economic issues and yeah I talk about politics and then I talk about movies and I talk about music and I talk about stuff that is going on because there is such a varied world that is out there and I guess I just look at it and I say look if if there are people that are in my life that I like you know, and I, I understand maybe, maybe they supported Hillary Clinton, maybe they supported Donald Trump, maybe they think Ronald Reagan, like I do, was the greatest president in my lifetime. Maybe they couldn't stand Reagan. I, I don't know about that. But regardless of those positions, chances are most of those people are interesting people. If you're going to be my friend, it's, you're probably a good person that has a good heart. And, and, you know, I don't, 
I, I don't need to sit down there and argue about politics, recognizing that especially if you reach a certain point in time in life, your 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 views are what your views are, and they are not going to end up changing. So um, hopefully we will get through this. Hopefully there will be some sort of sense of normalcy moving forward, and hopefully we're all not going to lose a bunch of friends. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 2020 has been a year of incredible uncertainty. What can we possibly expect in the year ahead? We explore that question in a day-long forum designed to tackle the biggest issues that face us, the topics that matter most to you. Tune in next Tuesday from 9 until 6 for WTMJ 2021. It's the biggest stories with the biggest guests in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and beyond. WTMJ 2021 on Wisconsin's radio station. It's Tuesday, October 13th. Matter of fact, normally we, we do this live in, in front of an, an audience, and obviously that, that's not happening this year. But one of the, the flexibility and the freedom that has given us is the ability to, I don't know, bring in sort of interesting guests. And some of the guests are going to be live on the radio. Uh, my segments, I've got two hours that assigned. Uh, uh, we don't, we, we've, we've recorded them or we're in the process of recording them. And, and that gave me access to some interesting people who might have not been able to physically you know, come in and, and carve out a couple hours. Um, it's going to be some great segments. I know we're going to be rolling out the guest list very, very soon. But WTMJ 2021, it is a week from today to no, it's it's a week from Tuesday, a week from it's next Tuesday, right? This is Wednesday. Time just absolutely flies. I am losing track of the days with all the stuff that we have going on. There, there, there's a story out there that just it kind of makes me me shake my head. And for everybody out there who says there, there's no sort of media bias, you, you then you look at stories like this and you wonder. What, why do they do this? Knowing that people out there, like myself, think that there's this huge liberal media bias, why do they play into this? NBC had a, had a town hall the other day with Joe Biden, and I don't know if you saw it or not, but it, it got, well, it, it got very, very mixed reviews. If you were a Biden supporter, you loved it because it was one softball after another. You know, the kind of things like, well, you know, Senator Biden, uh, Former Vice President Biden, I think Donald Trump is the worst person in the world. Why do you agree with me? It was kind of like questions like like that. I mean, it was just one softball after another. But here's what's coming out of this. The, the town hall was billed as being with, quote, unquote, undecided voters, you know, people presumably who hadn't made up their mind. Well, as it turns out, that's not the case. As it turns out, a number of the people that were there who were able to ask questions, not only weren't they undecided voters, but they were people who had, for example, appeared on on MSNBC in the past, you know, talking about how they were big Biden supporters and things like that. So they, they didn't even bother going out and trying to recruit new people who might have had a Joe Biden bias. What they did is they went back and they found people who had been on their air in previous months, brought them into the town hall, tried to pass them off as as undecided voters. And, and look, it, it's fine. If NBC or MSNBC wants to do a, an infomercial for Joe Biden, Fine, let him do an infomercial for, for Joe Biden. But let's not pretend it's some sort of impartial town hall with undecided voters. And it is interesting, like one person after another that were given airtime really weren't undecided um, voters. 
Two of the attendees, whom former who moderator Lester Holt identified as a Hillary Clinton voter who had voted Republican in the past, appeared on MSNBC back in August as network Biden voters. One of them says, if we get four more years of Trump, good luck and good luck with the future attracting younger voters. Okay, that doesn't exactly sound to me like somebody who is an impartial voter. Another attendee previously told MSNBC on September 30th that he would vote for Biden following the first presidential debate. Um, They also uncovered pro-Biden and anti-Trump social media posts from two other so-called undecided voters in the town hall. And again, they they can run, if NBC wants to run an, an infomercial for Biden, that's fine, run an infomercial for Biden. But you would think that, I don't know, especially when you know people might be paying attention to this. If you're really going to try to put together a panel of undecided voters, maybe you don't go to people who've been on your own air two months earlier talking about how they're not undecided. Or maybe that's the arrogance of the mainstream media that they don't care. So we'll lie to the public. So we'll present these people as undecided voters. And even if the whistle gets blown on us, well, you know, we don't care. Ah. It is the state of electronic journalism today. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. It is time for the Republicans in the state legislature to come back in session and rein in Tony the Tyrant Evers before he destroys with no good reason, huge chunks of the Wisconsin economy. Last, yesterday afternoon, despite, I think, knowing that what he did was illegal and not caring that what he was doing is legal, Tony Evers reinstated his order trying to shut down the state of Wisconsin. He said, okay, for a variety of businesses, bars, restaurants, stores, you are going to be limited to 25% capacity. And, you know, I, it, it's going to be at least another month. And so for all the businesses that are out there um, who've been struggling over the last several months, I don't care if this closes you down. I don't care if this destroys your business. I don't care if you are unemployed. I don't care if the business goes under. We are going to do this because we need to make people safe. Bull. Here is the deal with it may be. One of the things that we we should have learned during the safer at home time is that Wisconsin is a big state and a one size fits all. The governor in Madison standing back and sitting back as a dictator and dictating, Okay, I know what is best for Minocqua. And it is the same as what is best for La Crosse, and it is the same as what is we, we do for Beloit, and it's the same for what we do for Racine. The idea of Tony Evers with his one-size-fits-all thing is simply it's not supported by the science, and it's not supported by the numbers. And the economic devastation that he is about to cause is it's absolutely outrageous, and he needs to be stopped. Now, look, I understand that you've got COVID-19 numbers that are going through the roof. I I get it. All right. I understand that you have hospitalizations that are going through the roof. I, I get it. However, he has decided to single out places like bars and restaurants and, in my opinion, make them the scapegoat for for stuff. Um, All right. We're going to say that the reason we've got an outbreak. okay, we've got an outbreak in Brown County. Fine. 
we are going to close down the bars or limit them to 25% capacity, which is a practical matter, is going to close most places. They can't make it work with 25% capacity. That's just the reality of it. So you might as well order them closed down for all intents and purposes. And if you close them down, they're probably not going to be able to reopen again, especially after the last several months. So he orders them closed, but without evidence saying, okay, we've had a spread in Brown County, all right? All right, where does that spread come from? Well, you know, we, we don't exactly know. Okay, is that is the spread and is the increase in, in Brown County, is it due to the fact that you had bars open? Where is the contact tracing? Where is the imperial evid- empirical evidence that says that, as opposed to, Hey, maybe instead, I don't know, it's a bunch of people, a bunch of college kids going to St. Norbert's who got sick and then went back into the community and, and spread it on. It had nothing to do with the bars or restaurants. Now, now maybe maybe that's true, maybe it's not true. But, you know, Evers doesn't suggest anything. He doesn't offer you any empirical evidence doing that. Furthermore, and here's what is particularly aggravating, I know, to businesses in southeastern Wisconsin. First of all, there are areas of the state that are not the hot spots that, say, La Crosse is or, or say, Brown County is. In the city of Milwaukee, and, and mark the tape on this one, the city of Milwaukee has been very, very aggressive in coming up with, with plans and different things that businesses have to do to stay open. And there are a number of businesses in Milwaukee, restaurants, bars, etc., which have complied with the health department guidelines. They've done all the different things. They've jumped through all the different hoops when it comes to okay, limiting capacity and when it comes to sanitation. And you know what? By all objective measures, that appears to be working. And yet Evers is coming in and saying, I don't care what you've done. I don't care that the restrictions in the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County have been more restrictive than we've had in the other parts of the state. I'm ordering you closed down as well. So you say to me, and I think it's a fair criticism, all right, Jeff, what what do you do? You are the governor. What do you do? Well, I'm going to tell you this. First of all, I learned from the mistakes that we made in March and April where you have the one-size-fits-all approach, where you say we're going to allow hundreds of people to be in the Walmart, but we're going to destroy the small business by closing down the luggage store or closing down the, the pet supply store or whatever. I learn from that and recognize that a, a dictator, a tyrant in Madison with a one-size-fits-all approach is not the way to go about it. And what I do is I go to the local health departments in the different counties and I say, why is it? Why is it that you are having an outbreak in Oshkosh, if you're having an outbreak in Oshkosh, why are the numbers so bad in La Crosse? Why are the numbers so bad in Brown County? What do you trace this to? I mean, if you trace it to the bars, fine. Where, where is the evidence that this is the bars? All right, you, let's say for the sake of argument, you've got evidence that it's the bars. Well, then the local health department, maybe you need to close down the bars. I, I'm okay with that if the evidence says that in a particular area. What I object to not only because I think it's illegal and way beyond his control, is I object to this idea that we are going to treat every bar, every restaurant, every small business as if they are the problem. 
when they might be doing everything right and there's no significant evidence at all that what they were doing, the the bar that, you know, maybe you go to, the restaurant that maybe you go to that's already reduced its capacity and, and you know, is is... I don't know, limiting the amount of time that people can eat there and has improved their ventilation or whatever. This idea that they have to essentially close down. I understand they can operate at 25%. Very few businesses can make a living if you limit them to 25%. But the idea that they have to close, even though there is no evidence at all suggesting that they're being open, has contributed to the spike. That's That is what the problem is, and it's what happens when you have this top-down order coming out of Madison that doesn't take into account, first of all, individual areas of spread, and secondly, doesn't take take into effect local conditions. I mean, for the sake of argument, if, if you believe that the reason you've had an outbreak in Dane County is predominantly the fact that you had college kids who showed up in college and then who decided that they were going to have big kegger parties or whatever, and they got sick, and then maybe they went out in the community and they got other people sick, why in God's green earth do you close down a fine dining restaurant in Madison that has nothing at all to do with contributing to the spread? I firmly believe, and look, I, I, I understand, there might be some bad taverns, there might be some bad restaurants that are doing this and ignoring limits and being irresponsible, but that's something that should be weeded out on the local level. I think what Governor Evers has done, because he doesn't know what else to do, he's just decided to use this scattergun approach to say, we're going to close down all these different places, even though we have no evidence at all to believe that you contributed to this. 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for people who challenge me and say, okay, what would you do, Jeff? I would say, if I was the governor, here's the deal. I would do everything I can to help buttress the resources that the local health departments have, contact tracers, whatever. If you've got an outbreak in Outagamie County, let's figure out where that outbreak is coming from. Give us your best guesses. Don't just say, well, we think people are going back to restaurants. Oh, okay, well, show me show me empirically where that is. And if it turns out that's the case, okay, maybe in Outagamie County, you need to limit capacity or shut down the restaurants. But that doesn't mean that you need to do it in Beloit. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This just makes me crazy. Bars, and I guess the governor apparently has no real clue as to what the real world effect of these these orders are. All right, we're going to close down the bars, and I understand limited twenty five percent capacity, which is closing them down. We're, we're going to close down the bars. We're going to close down the restaurants because we have to stop the spread. Well, okay, w- without any evidence that there is is a connection, at least statewide. And look, maybe in some counties there is, but but shouldn't you have to have some way of figuring out why is it? Why is it that this is spreading? Somebody texted me, hey, in my kid's fourth grade class, a bunch of the kids tested positive. Oh, okay, I d- he says, I doubt they were in bars and restaurants. I- exactly. But I say, here's a text, and this is the kind of stuff that it makes my head explode. Well, the problem is nothing is being done, so um, doing something is better than nothing. No, I- I'm sorry. With all due respect, that's dumb. That's like saying... Gee, I have a gash on my wrist that is bleeding. Huh. I, I, I gotta do, and I haven't done anything with, I gotta do something, so I'm going to take an aspirin. 
Okay, well, you're, you're doing something, but it doesn't do anything to control the gash on your wrist that's bleeding. I, I mean, and, and this is, see, this is what's so frustrating, and, and people in the media don't ask this question. All right, why is it that you think it's bars and restaurants that have created this? And my guess is, in some cases, and in some counties, it may very well be. But in a lot of them, it's not. In the city of Milwaukee, for example, you've got these bars and restaurants that have spent fortunes on trying to comply, and and as a result, what you see is, is you don't see spread being traced to them. But yet, Evers wants to shut them down. Doesn't any, and we're putting aside the illegality, in my opinion, of what he's doing. This idea that, oh, well, we've got COVID numbers that are going out of, we got to do something. Isn't it fair and reasonable to ask, okay, well, do something that might make a difference. And if you don't have any evidence, for example, that in Columbia County, the spread of COVID-19, if there is a spread in Columbia County, is traced to bars and restaurants being open, why would you destroy the business of the bars and the restaurants and the other small businesses who can't make it on 25% capacity? Doesn't it make more sense to do it on a county-by-county basis and allow them to decide if you've got an area that's a hot spot, why is it? And my guess is, in some cases, like I say, it'll be a bar or a restaurant. But in many cases, that's not what the cause is going to be. It's going to be college kids who went home or or whatever. All right. Let's start with Craig in Lowell. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I, I've never heard you so passionate about uh, one, one, one topic. So i I got to say I agree with you. But, you know, the thing is... Uh, you are so right. Uh, Evers is wrong in making a state mandate. This should be county by county. We actually, as taxpayers, we're, we're paying, uh, people to, to make these decisions and, and figure out where it's coming from. Thing is, we don't know, uh, I, I live in Dodge County, which is, you know, very, uh, it's not near as populous as many other counties, right. sure. uh, that they touch on. But, uh, if I knew it was coming from Beaver Dam or Juno or uh, Watertown, uh, and if I knew it was coming from a certain place, I could make decisions better on that. And that that's where our local leaders should be making decisions. And they, they're the ones that should be making the calls on, on, on what's happening. But you are so right in saying Evers has no right in shutting down the state. It is just tragic to drive around and see how many bars and restaurants have for sale signs in front of them. It's absolutely And it's going to get worse, Craig. No, thanks for the call, Craig. I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. I mean, it it is going to get worse. Tony Evers is killing an industry. Oh, no, it's not fair to blame Evers. Yes, it is, because you're you're killing this industry with this this scattergun approach. And it's going to be other small businesses as well with no empirical evidence at all tracing it back to that particular business or that industry. It's being scapegoated. And and again, I I will fully acknowledge that, that maybe... You know, maybe you do have, you know, in some counties, maybe one of the things driving the spread is the fact that, you you know, you've, you've had people that piled into bars that didn't pay it when they weren't wearing masks and that didn't pay attention to, you know, social distancing requirements. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that. But show me the evidence. Show me the link. Show me why, what it is that the spread about Brown County convinces you that limiting, you know, closing down a bar 
putting a restaurant out of business, that that's going to make any material difference at all. And, and there's this complete disconnect, and nobody challenges on that because we're all so desperate for a magic bullet. We're all so desperate. Oh, like the COVID numbers are bad. Yeah, the COVID numbers are bad. I, I understand that. But if we're going to try to fashion responses and figure out, as I keep saying, how you're going to control it and how you're going to live with COVID, don't you at least have to have the intellectual honesty of trying to figure out where where it is coming from, what are the problems, are there super spreader events, etc. But if, if people are getting COVID, where did you get it from? You know, did, did you get it from going to a, a large populated bar or restaurant, or did you get it because... I don't know, your college kid came home and gave it to you or, you know, somebody in your workplace that had nothing to do with, uh, again, a bar or a restaurant or a small business. Just look at that. And and if you come up with that answer, you're going to recognize it's you can't do this on a state by on a statewide basis. You need to get down lower. Now, maybe what the answer is, is the governor needs to say, OK, here's what we're going to do. We're going to provide more resources for the local health departments. We, we want to do contact tracing, et cetera, et cetera. And we want to make sure they're empowered to do what they feel they need to do in a particular area. I'm all in favor of that. And like I say, it might be that that means you've got to close down bars in a particular city or whatever. But to do it statewide is not only illegal, it's not only beyond his authority, but it's, it's just it's a fool's errand unless you can tie it to what you've got going on. James in Pewaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Hey, um, yeah, I guess I would kind of dis- I agree with some points and I disagree with, with some points. And I guess the, the thing that I agree with, I do agree with the state down um, order because, you know, I think, you know, you look at it on a, on a worldwide scale, right? You, people shut down entire countries from one another. But uh, I live in Pewaukee. I, I work in Milwaukee. And um, when I'm out here at the bars, there's there's nobody. In the, it's, 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 it's rising now, but there was originally nobody, I'd say, until mid-July at our bars that were even wearing anything. At, at restaurants, they were even wearing masks, and, and they're, in, they're in close proximity to each other. And is it Coming off from restaurants and bars, of course not. But it, it's the area that's when you're in really close proximity to people that you don't know well. And maybe you are getting it from your son from from college. But guess what? Maybe your son at college is likely at a bar. Um, okay, but, but shouldn't we try to figure that out? But but shouldn't we try to figure that out? I don't disagree with you, yeah, but I should, agree. okay, no, I agree with that. And, and, and what I'm saying is, like, I do think though. With that being said, I think that businesses like restaurants like that are being unfairly scapegoated. And um, that, that, that's why I'm more for I'm for a statewide ban, but not something where we're just going to ban particular businesses, particularly mom and shop, mom and pop places, which are a lot of these restaurants and a lot of Main Street. And I think that's where it's hurting the business. And my final point, I was talking to the, the screeners, um, my cousin, I was saying, I was just saying, he's from California and he came out here uh, during the 4th of July and he's just blown away. He's like, dude, like, he, I, mean, I actually took a video of it without him knowing just to get his face and he was looking around. And there's a reason that our state is, is last in the country. We're the, we're the ones that are blowing up the most. Um, it's like we're, we want to have our cake and eat it, too. We, we're acting. We want it to go away, but we haven't been making a lot of changes. So I don't know. We, we, I, do, I, do I think there's a silver bullet? No. Um, but we got to do something. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, and, you know, you, you talk about California. And, again, I, I don't want to get sidetracked into a mask debate and stuff. But the, the, 
I, maybe that'll make a difference. Maybe it won't. And I, I'm one of these guys who, for example, when I go inside to places, I, I wear a mask. I think it, I guess I figure it can't hurt. But, you know, we look at some of the other states that have exploded, you know, with, with COVID, and they're all states that have had mask requirements forever. So I, yeah, maybe this is, again, I'm not saying that if you, you can't and you shouldn't try to do stuff. I, I reaffirm, though, that this idea that you should do it in a smart fashion. You should do it. I mean, I've been listening for months and months about let's follow the science. I don't disagree with that. My response would be let's do the math. Before we just cripple businesses, let's figure out if that business is creating the problem or not. And then let's shut it down. I mean, there's story after story after story on the media today, you know, talking about local businesses in Milwaukee, bars and restaurants that have gone out of their way to submit their protocols. It's been approved. These bars and restaurants are not the reason why people are getting COVID. I'm not saying that nobody has, but they're, they're not driving this spike. And yet the governor decides they wants to shut them down. Where is that coming from? This is Jeff Wagner.